wanted to talk to you like as soon as you mentioned about your your uh your post you know about the you know it's like i see matt make but yet you rarely see matt make and i was like oh this is brilliant like when I mean, you just said that i'm like this is gonna be perfect because i struggle with that and i was like i'm either can talk bug you or i'm like no or can we just sit down and record and yeah it's, it's a weird perspective that i've been trying to figure out as a maker my you know or whatever you call it nowadays right so well it's funny because I never really put much thought into that. I mean, I've had the account for going on almost three, four years now. I started yeah. back in late 2018, early 2019. I thought, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm just going to hit it with the ground running and just start making all this cool stuff. And then reality over time just kind of kicked in and it's like, nah, you have responsibilities <laughs> elsewhere that you need to take care of first. Yeah. And it just kind of went from there. I mean, I do make, there's yeah. no question about that. It's just yeah. like we had said, I don't get a chance to show it much. Um, what really, I mean, what sparked that post in the beginning? Um, I, I'm not going to name names, but uh, I had heard from a friend in a group call or whatever that a gentleman, well, actually I can't even say gentleman, a person in that call was talking some stuff about me behind my back saying, mm -hmm. Oh, you know, his name is C Matt make, but we never actually get a chance to see what Matt actually makes. Now, do we blah, 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 blah. So I didn't even know that happened. I was not in that call at that time until my friend contacted me and said, you may want to sit down for this one. Eef. It shook me. I mean, just the fact that there are people that are talking about me in that light when I'm not there to defend myself about it. You know, I was a bit steamed, but then I looked at it and thought they're not entirely wrong but let me make something to kind of give my side of that perspective because really should be heard. And that's why I made the post. And surprisingly, I say surprisingly because I didn't expect it to gain as much traction as it did. Mm. There were a lot of people like you saying, dude, I feel that I know exactly what you're talking about. So that's when it kind of struck that, 
yeah, you may not see what I'm making, but there's no question I am making still full stop. Well, it's also like where you put the punctuation, in your name, it's like, you know, see, you know, Matt make right. Or it's just see Matt as somebody who makes right. Like it's such a the weird, the make make maker word for me has always been just weird because like I didn't like I've been making things and somehow became like my, you know, what brings in the bread and butter. Right. It's my job. And that's something that I've noticed you do, too, as well. Probably similar electronics industries. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like you make things, you know, I've seen you make air manifolds. And I've seen your stories and it's pretty cool because it's, you know, familiar things, the sensors you work with and the precision too, right. Like getting wiring harnesses, like I'm going to use obsessive in the best way possible because when I open a machine and it looks the way you finish it, I'm like, Oh, you know what? This is like a half cup of coffee job. It's going to be a nice, easy morning. And then you pull another machine apart and you're like, this is, I'm going to tell him I'm going to need a extension of like a week, right. To finish something. But that doesn't always translate as easily to like sharing. You know, you can't set up a video and keep posting that just that you're in an environment that's just not necessarily conducive to it. But that's what you're doing all day. Right. And it's cool when I get to see aspects of that. And I try to do the same and share because I know uh, even other friends that do woodworkers, which, you know, one's an audio, you know, does audio visual tech for big installations. And it's like it's really cool shit he does. And it's really high level of work uh, and he just can't share it because, you know, you're working with contractors, you know, you're a foreman and you're, you're just really not in that environment where it's just safe, smart, or just it reduces the workflow. And it's really cool when you get to share what you're making for once. I definitely have to be careful about what I can and can't post for, for context. My job is an electrical engineer the company I work for, we build pharmaceutical robots and conveyor systems for high volume pharmacies, such as like Walgreens, uh, the VA clinic, uh, you know, big names like that. Um, but because we're dealing with patient information and oh, yeah. proprietary, you know, equipment, there's a lot that I can't actually post because if it gets out there, that's a HIPAA violation or that's potentially damning our company if another company were to actually look at that and go, hey, we could copy that on our system and so on and so forth. Or the multi-million dollar lawsuit, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. There's, rep there's repercussions for yeah. showing the wrong thing to the wrong person. And By that's why, even. Yeah, 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 it could be completely accidental. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that you put that up there. Your name is on the line. It's your neck that's hanging on. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I have to be really careful about the things that I can and can't post. And that's why I try to show individual things that everybody uses well like stuff that it seems like you pull onto your own bench right it's not where it normally lives it's now on matt's making bench as it were right so now it's your own little space you're not worried about the background because it's a brick wall or you know a motivational poster or what have you right you know, or a massive total bow poster <laughs> i need to get some sort of poster things to post up above 
my desk at work because where i sit right now there's just a giant white brick wall in front of me um i have shelves that i made to kind of post or put up some brick up rack and things that i brought in for my desk but other than that it's just it's just white so that's why i've been starting to put stickers on my toolbox because i can occasionally look over and just go oh yeah i know that guy or i know that brand um you know bits here and there but yeah i purposefully when i'm working on stuff i make sure that it's in a spot where you cannot see anything else going on around it so it's just kind of up to your imagination what this is being used for it's not proprietary it's not you're like missing parts of the story almost too right it's like well here's out of context like an air manifold it's like it's really fun to work on the air manifold, but what's really more interesting is like this massive piece of equipment. It goes in that does these crazy cool things. And you're like, yeah, it's cool. It's exciting. You can't share like the whole story just cause you know, you can look at it in that light or you can look at it as, and this is why I kind of post mm. the few things I do. You can look at it as this is an individual component. Mm. You don't know what it's going into. It could be going into just about anything you can imagine. And that's yeah. when your creativity kind of takes over going, okay, well, what could it go in? Or what can, what could I see it go so into? So man of mystery, eh? Kind of. I mean, <laughs> eventually it will get to a point where I can start posting things that yeah. I'm working on outside of work. Once I have more time and more resources to actually go about doing it. Well, but so, as- so with the resources, that's probably a big disparity. I mean, it, it is for me of like what I have access to in the work sense versus like what I actually have access to myself too, as a, like a, a maker. I, I didn't go about the route of like acquiring a huge garage and filling with tools necessarily as a way to make, like I sort of ended up in a job where I end up making where, you know, there, you need these tools part of a company, right? Well, you're familiar with a fire triangle, right? how you need air, uh, fuel, and... Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. You, know, you need all these things in order to start a fire. And mm. if you take one of those things out of the equation, you no longer have the resources to create that fire. Let's say that fire is making or what mm. you're trying to do as a maker. You have certain areas or certain components that make up that accessibility to do that if you really consider it. There's the material or the tools, there's the space, and then there's the time. I have the space. I have the materials and the tools. I don't have the time, or at Mm. least as much time as other people do in that regard. When I get home, my focus is usually either on helping customer support or not customer support, field service in what they're doing or just trying to unwind from a really stressful day at work. It's usually, well, you're making stuff all day, right? I mean, yeah. right. I am making again. I'm making nobody I just, just necessarily really... sees you sees Matt making all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If I had more time when I got home, believe me, I would be in that shop. I would be cranking out projects like there's no tomorrow. But at the moment, time is kind of a, you know, it's a scarce scarcity for me right now. 
So, so what do you, so is that like a permanent thing for you or are you working towards, you know, cause people will talk about, I have like a goal for making, like I want to get my own shop or I want to buy this tool or, you know, if it's in the case of in a specific company, you want to work up it or something. What's, what's your goal with making? You keep saying you don't have the time now you want to do more of what is your, like, do you have a plan or is it like a dream or. I wouldn't say it's a dream. I, I try to, keep with a plan. And my plan currently is to keep working with the company I have right now until I get to a point where I am comfortable enough to say, okay, I've put in my time with you guys. I've had a really good relationship with you, but I think it's time for me to make a name for myself and, you know, respectfully, Mm. politely, you know, remove myself from that job and start my own. Um, but that kind of thing requires a lot of money, unfortunately. Um, for like what? It, for, for what was that like? Look like not the mounts, but like is it equipment or you need shop space or? For equipment, for shop space. I mean, again, I have the stuff, but for me, the money would just be there as a cushion for the time it would take to get everything set up the way I want it. And then to actually start producing uh, content and materials or projects in that regard there has to be a little bit of a gap or a cushion there yeah like in run, case it, run time or whatever lead in yeah right in case things don't quite work out i'm not left stranded you know bills piling up and no money to really take care of those um in that regard if it doesn't work out then i still have enough to go okay i need to go back to work for at least a little while longer until things level out and i can try this again i'm only 26 years old i have plenty of time to try again if it doesn't necessarily work out the first time but i need to hold myself accountable to the fact that this is your first time but don't make a dumb mistake like running out of money entirely and then being almost bankrupt at that point. If you really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and you said planning, are you like a person who journals that stuff out? You have a big calendar on the wall or what's your sort of, you have a process for that? For me, it's notes on the phone notes. Yeah. I have so many notes on my phone it's ridiculous. You would think it takes up 75% of my memory on my phone. Mm. And it, it really does help. Funny enough, uh, the last episode I recorded with Mary Lou Anderson uh, made by Mary Lou, she mm. was saying how she journals to keep things on track for her. And she uses it as a mechanism to, you know, express herself, get her thoughts on paper or just out there. And I had told her, I want to get to a point like that, because right now I'm more scatterbrained. And that's not entirely false. I mean, you look at my notes, there's no clear rhyme or reason to... So they're like work notes or you're just writing everything down? I'm just writing everything down. It could be work related. It could be just nonsensical stuff like... For example, I have had a couple ideas for projects in mind that I want to do with a possible partnership from a pneumatics company that I just recently struck a very good deal with. 
And one of those projects makes sense for the shop environment. You know, it's a very professional sort of project. It would look really good for promotional material, that kind of stuff. The other one is literally just, and I'm, <laughs> I still laugh every time I think about this. The other idea is just a potato shotgun. <laughs> no, those potato guns are like some of the best things. That's probably like the, some of the first things I made. It was like things to shoot potatoes, stupid distances or nerf things or some form of cannonry was like, I don't know. Do you, do you, you make like a potato cannon or some? I mean, I've made dangerous. things similar to that in the past, but what right. I had envisioned for this uh, is kind of similar to what Tyler Bell made a while back where he took a tennis racket mm. and instead of the net, it was just, you know, <laughs> sheets uh, or I guess it was like a hatch pattern of steel <laughs> that when he launched a tennis ball prize. through, it just was in shreds when it <laughs> escaped. I saw that and immediately thought, how would that work at the end of a potato cannon? Exactly the type of thing you need in an apartment kitchen, I'd say. Studio at the very least. <laughs> just fire I mean, in the hole. Yeah, literally. The thing just flies out. I've got this space. Of potatoes embedded in your drywall. Landlord walks in, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would be the worst. I would be the worst tenant ever. Every landlord I would have would come up, look around my apartment and go, oh, crap, he's at it again. <laughs> what crazy thing have you come up with this time? Well, you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I totally feel that. Because <laughs> sometimes you just, you know, it ends up being, so, so for you, I mean, with the planning, you did you like plan to become a maker? Um you said you're an EE, right? You're an yeah. electrical engineer. So I'm guessing engineer happened for you first as like a mindset. And then you found like how, how that going from calling yourself an engineer to adding the maker or, uh, you know, how does that word define you or you define it, I guess? Well, I guess for that, you kind of got to go back in time to high school when I had just discovered uh, an engineering course called Project Lead the Way. And I had gotten talking to the uh, teacher that did that course, who I was great friends with growing up, or, you know, from that point on. Um, he said, he basically explained to me the aspects of engineering and what the course is taught for that. And my eyes just lit up. I mean, at the time, for that, I to get the points I needed to graduate, I was taking French, a foreign mm. language. And I enjoyed that, but it didn't click with me nearly as much. So when the opportunity arose, I transferred from taking French to trying out that engineering course. And it just, it clicked. Yeah, I was doing, I was working. Love at with, first sight, right? Well, pretty much. I yeah. mean, he explained to me all the different aspects of engineering, the mechanical, electrical, civil, all this stuff. And I was like a sponge. I just soaked cool it shit. all up. Yeah, it was wicked awesome. Rockets, I mean, bridges, skyscrapers. Wait, this is how you make them? Holy shit, right? I had cars, whatever. Yeah, I literally had the opportunity to work with 
probably my favorite modeling software of all time and probably one of the most powerful ones out there, AutoCAD Inventor. Well, I, work, I mean, I work with that at I'd say SolidWorks if you're saying AutoCAD just to pick a fight because I'm a SolidWorks <laughs> guy. Really, I have people that do AutoCAD. They're like Fusion. I'm like, no, no, no. The stuff you can do in the it's a pain in the ass, though. They I will I will courts. partially agree because I did use SolidWorks in college, mm. but growing up using AutoCAD, that was my bread and butter. That was yeah. what I was trained on. That was what I'm used to. You don't to. switch when you do one and you really learn it. And it's not like you're a reason to, as far as I can tell. It's just I've used SolidWorks since I started modeling, and it's just like, yep, this is what I use, and I can just I know where all the buttons are. You can modify it if you want, hotkey everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I figured that out with Inventor as well. But for me, it was just, I had always been a creative uh, kid growing up. Art class. That in high school too, during, during all this, or did that start before? This is what the creativity or. Yeah. Yeah. How, how that like manifest for you? You just taking things apart or. Oh, always. Yeah. Always taking things apart. But for me, it was a lot of art classes. It was a lot of music classes, just things that I could use to express myself beyond just one plus one equals two or the works of Mark Twain and all that stuff. So expressing yourself, I and mean, you just said one plus one equals two, but then you went in high school, fell in love with engineering, which literally is all one plus one is two, especially EE. I mean, like, right. EE is all math resistance. I'm, I'm a terrible at, you know, I know what I need to know for electrical stuff. Right. So I don't die. And I know how to make things run. But EE is its own mindset, like mechanical and electrical engineering is. I feel like you, everyone at least biases pretty heavily towards one or the other. Um, and that's all math. So how, how does your creativity, how do you express your creativity then with those one plus ones and twos and your electrical engineering? If that's what you fell in love with, right? Well, I uh, for that, it was. Oh, gosh. I believe it was actually when I took apart a radio mm. that I looked at all the the circuitry and the wires that ran everything together. And my my curiosity peaked. I was like, how does this work? Because I can I can take a plug off and I can show you where it goes back on there. But what goes on in this green PCB that I why? cannot... Yeah, that yeah. I cannot see what's going on. So that's when I started uh, looking into electronics. And then that led into taking electrical engineering as a course in or as my major study in college. Just that learning of how how electricity works in such a mysterious way, because you don't yeah. actually physically see it working for you you the only time you touch it you don't necessarily live to tell the tale <laughs> you know i've done 120 and like 240 and it's been you know no coffee for the rest of the day kind of stuff but like that's not the kind of thing where you can like swing at a hammer and learn your way with uh you know some power tools it's uh you don't you don't want to mess up let's put it that way well yes and no you can yeah. start small i mean oh yeah of course five volt two volt yeah 12 yeah. volt Literally, one of my first projects was a a blinker. It was literally just mm. a, it was just a small circuit, like a Radio Shack kit kind of thing, or wasn't even Radio Shack. It was something we built in house in college. Like 
They okay, showed cool. me, yeah, they showed me how to design the circuit for it, how to place the components, how to literally make my own PCB. That's cool. Etch it. Yeah. Yeah. And it clicked. It genuinely just. Let's start to finish me. right there. Right. I mean, you literally made every single ingredient to make the board. Right. And then put and, the parts on it. Yeah, that's cool. Right. And that's where it really started taking off because it showed me that I could literally make my own stuff and, you know, watch it work in the end. So that was combining my prior knowledge from high school of yeah. modeling and nice. putting things together and what I was learning in college about how the electricity works with everything in it all. And, yeah. and ever since then, I've tried to apply both in everything I do and what I still do at work. I mean, I make a lot of testers for manufacturing to utilize, and I'm the one designing that. I'm the one literally mocking it up on my computer going, okay, I want this component here. Starting with a blank screen, right? I mean, literally nothing. just nothing in existence. Not. Yeah. Yeah. And just an X, Y grid hatch marks, bunch of uh, options up on the top of the screen, a mouse pointer, and that's it. The worst you know? kind of infinite of possibilities because it's literally infinite. I mean, right? Oh, yeah. You can take it. Yeah. You can achieve the same outcome a million different ways. Uh, our, our robots, for example, their purpose is literally just to take a vial, fill it with something, spit it out onto a conveyor belt. But over time, we have gone through so many iterations of how to do that, how to make it so that it's quicker and more efficient to yeah. the point where we're at a machine now that could completely outpace the very first generation one robot we ever built. And it's incredible. It's and incredible. the motors have gotten so much better for that stuff too. That's the big thing that I've seen. And the technology will only grow more and more advanced, faster, smarter, stronger, literally. I mean, I've seen the things that Fanuc are, we use Fanuc robots and Sean Beckner, as we know, mm. works yep. for Fanuc, I'm literally taking the robots that come from Sean's facility and putting them in our stuff and watching it do all these incredible things. And we're even putting our own tweaks here and there on it, telling it, you don't need to move this far to do this. You can move in a different direction to achieve the same thing or, you know. Well, because it, it's a robot, right? It, it does, for better or for worse, what you tell it to. And if you tell it to crash into the wall, it's going to crash into the wall. If you tell it to be do this path, it's going to do this path and not think twice about it. Like, hmm, you know, wonder where my break is. It's a robot. It doesn't think that. So if you... It's only as smart as the guy operating it, which could be great or it could be bad, or you could have a great guy that's having a bad day, right? So oh, I've been 100%. I've been in all the different shoes there too, right? Um, and and it's interesting for as as I've seen things like trickle down. Uh, like I I got started in three D printing really early because it was a it's it still is right, but even back in the day, even when it was like very cost prohibitive, it's it was a great way to prototype before you're about to spend a hundred thousand dollars on injection molding. Right. Like, yeah, you can spend a few grand to 3D print something because the mistake is significantly more severe. Right. 
So like I got started with that equipment really early. And now, well, you know, that was like the only printer I'd recommend dual extruders. Right? It was crazy because MakerBot was meh at the time. You know, you could see the cool things, but it was all the, the 3D printing on those was a hobby in of itself. And then now that sort of trickled into like Prusa's is the one I'm familiar with. And I know other people are, and there's other ones too that I just, I don't know. I can't speak anything of, but they're great. But it's not even a hobby anymore. The printing itself, you can actually make things. And I think it's become a big asset of like makers that you can just print your ideas. Um, just had the infinite craftsman on as well. And that was a big thing. And one of the things I'm noticing is that trickle down effect that like the American manufacturing system has where we're automating these, these tasks using robots, right? A 3D printer is a robot in and of itself. It's just enclosed in a, and generally a box, a cage, X, Y, Z. There's so many different types of robots. How do you see that like trickling down, you know, that technology is still trickling down forward from here for like makers, as it were, for like the different levels, you know, not like necessarily the corporate, but, you know, I used to people, you know, Glowforge, they have lasers now in-house. Now people are getting uh, 3D printers in-house and they're just doing vastly more than they ever would have been able to do capability-wise than five years ago, right? I mean... You're, you're the hobbyist, you're, roughly, right? The hobbies, they still might have a business of it. They're still yeah. making money with it, right? Like, but they're coming it from like, I'm started in my garage versus this was my job or I was a carpenter or I was a plumber, right? You know, it's more from that. Uh, I think there are first. Yeah, I think there are a lot of brands that are realizing that there are people out there that want to try doing these professional grade projects. Mm but in a smaller environment or are limited to space constraints or just overall resources. Uh, prime example, uh, the Shaper Origin. Mm. Oh, yeah. I've been wanting that. to try one of those. those. That's some cool shit right there. That is literally... That's, that's a, cool. It's literally a two-dimensional CNC machine in the shape of a handheld router. You just kind of guide it and the motor inside is smart enough to keep on that path that you program into it. And so what does it do? I mean, like, what does it do for the, uh, for the people that don't know? So the Shaper Origin, like I said, it's about the size of a, one of those handheld routers because it literally is built on the platform of a handheld router. You could draw so many parallels between that one and say a Festool or a, uh, the Bosch kind of machine, yeah. but where normally you would be the one in control of the spindle, the part that actually spins in it and uh, cuts Cutting. into the wood, yeah. you're just kind of guiding that machine along a set program that you've put into it. And it is smart enough to recognize by scanning the surface and these, uh, domino tape that you put down like little marker kind of things right pretty much yeah, yeah. It, it's just tape with domino shapes printed onto it but that machine is smart enough to look at that and kind of track itself based on where it is in conjunction with that tape oh so you're like only moving it like roughly coarsely and then it does the fine movement to make it look like because i've seen the results and i'm like that looks like a professional mill or professional router did it and i'm just like that is insane because to me you know my biggest struggle when I, when I make stuff and especially if i make big stuff out of metal or things that'd be sturdy right like you need the big equipment and mm -hmm. like 
I, I machine with a, a mill, right? But the mill, you can't put infinitely big things on it. I only can only put like 12 by eight inch kind of things. Otherwise it's hanging off and I'm not cutting, you know, I have to re retool it. And, and, that, and that right there is the beauty of exactly. the origin itself because I've- Bring the tool to the work. A good person to watch put that tool to use would be Laura Kampf because she- Oh, yeah, it. yeah, 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 yeah. She uses it religiously on her projects and the results speak volumes. They are by far, I would consider them masterpieces in that regard. And literally it's that tool. It's all been like NASA themed stuff recently too, right? Well, yeah, because she's been hanging out with Tom yeah. Sachs and uh, there was a while back, she went over to New York, hung out with him, did that whole space program which yeah that was cool. i i had never heard of tom Sachs until i saw her work and her conjunction with tom Sachs, and that's when i kind of got curious about it but she was over there she did that with him um then i thought it was super cool i wouldn't say that her style well okay maybe this is just my my outside viewpoint mm -hmm. I don't think her style is derivative of Tom Sachs' work. Her style is just her style. There's parallels between the two because they yeah. both try to utilize materials that they can just collect uh, off the street or. I wherever. think of the maker spirit, right? Like some of it's scavenging. Maybe oh, nice yeah. thing you've scavenged, but like some of my nicest things have been discarded by others. You know, it's like, well, this is free Craigslist free. It's like, really? This is Craigslist free? All right. You know? Yeah. I think that's part of that little maker spirit. I mean, she definitely falls in her maker. Right. And I'd, I'd, I'd say I'm not to speak for her, but I'm pretty sure absolutely. <laughs> she'd go oh, with absolutely. that. Absolutely. I mean, you look at people like Adam Savage too, right? Like as a like craftsman maker, prop maker, right? Like it's, it's always scavenging. It's always using the things. Even if you're in a professional setting, you still have a scrap bin. You don't chuck that shit, right? You have a, it might be a nice scrap bin, but you know, you're grabbing manifolds <laughs> from your machining department. I saw that or Delrin blocks. So that would mean the, the amount of material that I raid from that shop puts that manager <laughs> or that the director of the machine shop. I love him to bits. Anytime I walk in the shop, though, he just groans and goes, all right, what do you want this time? <laughs> and then I'll explain, well, I'm just trying to make X, Y, Z. What have you got that could work with that? And then he points to the bin of just aluminum, steel, Delrun, HP, uh, or HPD. Yep. We've got a lot of that now. Yep. And from there, I just, I just go hog wild. I'll take a piece. I'll literally see what I need to make out of it. And I sculptor, oh. right? Little Michelangelo. Remove the stone you don't need to get the man out of the you know thing, right? <laughs> I wouldn't call myself Michelangelo only because Michelangelo, uh, his work, there was so much detail put into it. You know, you could you could see the yeah. spirit and the soul that was put into it. Me, I have you seen his work up close? Any of it? Uh, not entirely. I've never gotten a chance to, but I've wanted to. I mean, there are imperfections. Definitely. Well, that's the, I think that's the beautiful thing is it's not perfect. Right. Uh, you know, but th there's it's and that's and that's that's art. Right. Could, 
I mean, that's a whole sidebar in of itself. When what's perfection? Where do you stop at perfection? You know, for me in the like professional world, it's defined right on on a blueprint. There's a tolerance. Sometimes I define it, but it's plus or minus five thousands is the perfection. If I hit that, it's perfect. You know, more perfect could be to the millionth of an inch, but that's not the practical. You know, so it's uh, the imperfections. And I've I've recently been leaving more tooling marks because it's like I'm wasting time trying to make it look prettier. Just because it's like, well, you can see where I marked it here with a sharpie, or you know, there's a scuff here, but it's like, ah, you know, because the same thing. I'm doing, uh, you know, you're you're in the you know pharmaceutical. I'm in automotive, so we're doing massive automotive testers and stuff, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't have to always be perfectly cleaned off after you're done making it, right? You don't have to polish something, even though it'd be cool to polish it. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh it's. I think it's really changing the game with the, the, the origin because, you know, three printers are mostly small things, generally eight by eight by eight, 10 by 10 by 10 inches, 12 by 12 is pretty darn big. You can get bigger ones, but that origin allows you to bring your thing to such a big work piece that you could build huge things, right. That you wouldn't be able to do before. And that's what I've been seeing people pull off with them. They're like, man, right. Like, cause I, I do a lot of hand tool woodwork, which is cool but it takes me forever. And I use it more of the hobby because it's not a practical use of time to make something. But if you have the shape or origin, you can just design it, right? That's the beauty of SolidWorks and AutoCAD. You can design it. And it's almost, you just stand there and you are the 3D print, you know, three printer set and forget, but this is, you stand there and you did the hard work, which is designing. And now it just sort of doesn't make itself because that's an oversimplification that a salesman would make. Uh, no offense to salesmen. I know the pitches work, but, uh, you know, I've gotten the 3D printer that this will be the last one you ever need. And it's like, no, it wasn't. But, you know, I know how that, you know, that that works. Um, and then uh, it, it's it's really cool seeing that stuff come together. I don't know where that's going to go, but that kind of stuff where you can hold it in your hands and it's it's cool. That's I, I like that. Anything else you're seeing trickling down for uh, makers? Oh, besides CNC? That's that's um, a cool one for sure. I've been I've been seeing laser cutting was the big one for me because I just got into it might have been for, around for a while, but I've been using send cut send and like just blown away by, by prices because for me, I'm used to order. I mean, I do order from the big laser cut houses because that's what I have to do. And it's like, all right, well, you know, I need to make 25 and I have to tell accounting, well, we're ordering a thousand. They're like, well, we don't need a thousand. I'm like, well, but that's all we can. You know, we have to get a thousand. There's still only like a hundred bucks to get them or something. So that's been the big one for me for scalability as like a one person, you know, where I'm creating, right. Part of, I think, you know, you're, you're I think with like maker, right. So I know you're, you know, you're a trained electrical en engineer, but you're making brackets to mount your stuff. Right. Is that, that's not really part of engineering. Is that part of electrical engineering? Like, I know, you know, like what boxes you're supposed to use for code and all that stuff, but you're doing things, creating your own thing, right? Like you're making your own bracket. You're like, I'm going to make my own method, my own process, what have you, what Matt is making, right? Yeah. Where's, where'd that come from? That, that come from school or? Most of it, yeah. It, okay. The majority of it came from everything I learned in school because there it was a matter of, again, not just electrical engineering, but, you know, you were designing stuff and then your teacher would go, okay, now let's go to the shop and let's actually make that thing. That's neat. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a big shop, but it was enough to kind of give you 
a rough idea of, you know, how to actually put things together. One of the projects that I recall, and this was more just a project to showcase how to, um, how to design a product and then sell the product. Mm. It was just a puzzle cube. Uh, you know, I modeled it up in CAD. I went into the shop, you know, I found the pieces of wood. I cut it out to the specs that I designed it, put it together, made sure that it actually worked as a puzzle, literally made a box for it to display and showcase to the rest of the class. And uh, I called it the cube because I thought it was really clever at the time. And I just realized looking back now, how stupid that sounded, but, <laughs> but it's four letters and it has the in front of it. So it's hip. Oh no, it wasn't even the, it was just D a cube. Oh, duck cube. Yeah. Nice, so nice, here I, uh, here cute. I was standing in front of the class going, introducing the cube. And it's like, stop. Why did you do that? <laughs> but that's great. Yeah. And even in college, as I was learning more electrical engineering, there was one class in particular where we built our own sort of electrical reel. So it was an extension cord, but hmm. it mounted, but it mounted on this aluminum block that we literally milled ourselves with a Bridgeport mill. Nice, nice. With yeah, with electrical outlets in it. So I designed that, I fabricated it. I wired it up, made sure that it did everything that it said it was going to on the tin. And that was kind of that bridge for me between, you know, what would be considered mechanical engineering, yeah, yeah. the actual making of it versus electrical engineering, the wiring of it, the, you know, the flow of electricity through everything, that kind of stuff. And then that kind of zip zappity of it, right? The zip zap. Yep. <laughs> And then that continued to carry over into what I do now, even though it's not strictly necessary. I mean, we have plenty of mechanical engineers who other electrical engineers go to and say, can you make this for me? And they go, absolutely. I just bypass all of that. And I go, well, you're too busy. I've got nothing else to do screw it i'll make it myself yeah and, and nobody has stopped me nobody, nobody has, stopped you what a nobody 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 stopped looked, you yet right <laughs> literally nobody in the office has looked to me and go why are you doing that well because your they name just, is c matt makes and they're like well see matt's making right there's he's off running around making shit again literally i mean they're watching me every day run That's between so my run between my desk and the machine shop going, I can, I need this. <laughs> I can sympathize with that. Thankfully people have stopped asking me what I, I'm doing, but I'll be running around the building. Cause we have like things spread out just because, you know, we don't have dedicated machine shops. I'm running between things. You'll hear me like pounding randomly in one room, running over to like a fixture and, you know, so that like whole, yeah, just the whirlwind of like, I need this or that. And, um, and they're like, in the end, also, they're like, what are you doing? I still don't know what you're doing. And then in the end, it's a working thing. They're like, oh, you know, because if somebody for me, if somebody catches me in the beginning phase, um, I remember. So I, I know this uh, married couple and they're both engineers, like which is always interesting. You know, I, I think they're in similar fields. 
And like the husband's just a stereotypical good engineer, gets this thing's done. You give him a project, it's done on time, right? You want him to make the sweeter thing that holds the load bearing, all good, right? And his wife will be sitting in her office with a blank screen in front of her and the boss walking by all the time, like, hey, uh, you know, how's, how's it going? You're doing good in here? She's like, oh yeah, you know, what are you doing? I'm working. Like, they're not like distracted, they're on their phone, but they're like staring at a blank screen. And they've learned you know, with her, it's like, you wait like eight hours and all of a sudden there'll be like a boom moment. Something blows up and then whatever's in her head, the way that I put it, just comes vomiting out onto like the screen, you know? And it's always so interesting for me because of that infinite nature of 3D modeling. Because again, you know, you talked about you went in the machine shop and went to Bridgeport. You know, there's 3D printing. There's all these other ways to make things, laser cutting. How do you like start your 3D modeling process, right? Are you deciding how it's made first or is it different? Like, how does that like work? Where do you get started with your infinite blank page or is it all different? You know, I don't know. For me, actually, it starts with just the idea mm. that in my head of what I want to try and create. And then I'll, I'll just do like a rough sketch. I mean, we're talking pen to napkin, just, okay you know, really crude sort of idea. And then I'll jump up to CAD. But always analog? Not always analog. No, okay. I've done, again, going back to the phone, I've done sketches on here with my finger that sure. later on, as I'm modeling, I'll look back at my phone and go, holy crap, was I drunk that time? <laughs> Just because yes. I... Yes, I was. What a great idea that was. <laughs> Oh, I remember that night. Yeah, I had one too many yinglings in me. But yeah, it'll just start off like that. And as I, you know, as I'm staring at that screen, I'll at least start with a rectangle. Because most objects, if you think about it, are, you know, they have a rectangle or something square in them. You need a right angle, I think, at least some sort of right angle to start with. Or, you know, you can do circles as well if you're turning something in a lathe, right? Like you don't need to do any. But right back to your rectangle thing. When I do a rectangle in SolidWorks, the first step I do is I make a rectangle and I hit revolve to make it a circle. I mean, you can go from the top, too. But yeah, you know, there's one of the million of ways do I want to make it a revolution. You know, which way do you want to make a circle? I can start with a rectangle and make it into a circle or I can start a circle and make it into a tube. And there's no wrong way and there's no right way. And ah, but I think I think you're right about needing to start something with like pen to paper or some stubby finger, you know, on a on a on a phone to get that. Start with that. Something going. All right. Yeah. Start with that. Put pen to paper. And then when it comes to beginning your modeling, just start with a shape. It could be any shape. Yeah. Hell, it could be a star. And then you just sit back, look at that and go, oh, well, that could be an element of this over here. And then you build off of that. You know, I've. You need something to build off of the, the yeah. infinite whiteness, as it were, as the background is default is just it's not helpful. And for some reason, staring at, at like a whiteness of paper, again, generally, most people have, you know, white paper, I, you know, white index cards. It, it's a lot more conducive it seems whereas you're standing at this computer where you have literally just infinite ways and you don't even know like if you're 3d printing something it's additive 
So like now you're starting with a block and you're removing from a block, even though you're going to be adding to, you know, in the process, or if you're machining, now you're trying to figure out like, well, I have this drill bit and this drill bit. Well, crap, I probably shouldn't design something. And I've done that before too, where I design something that I can't make myself. And I'm like, oh, cool. Now I, you know, shoot the designer, but I'm the designer. You know, sometimes uh, other people get a complaint about engineers, you know, where you get like a German car and you can't reach like uh, we need a specialty tool in a Volkswagen to change the oil or something. Well, unfortunately, you're that German engineer people are swearing about and it's your own damn fault <laughs> half the time. Like I, I'm always, always I'm, I'm machining something and I, I didn't realize it overcomplicated something. And then I have to like three print like a clamp or a jig or a thing just to hold the thing in place because I forgot that I needed to do like a further step. And it's uh, feels like it's part of that making where a lot of times you're making those things to keep you moving forward because, you know, failing forward, people like to say, you know, it's, it's uh, just keeping that momentum going in a project, even if it's not necessarily, you know, all positive, right. Cause you're sometimes stumbling through or worst case. I mean, as far as I know, you know, electronics, they're all, uh, they run on magic. Like you said, if you let the smoke out, they don't run no more. They all run on smoke. I can't tell you how many concepts I've come up with or uh, tests that I've done mm. that have just ended up with me either scrapping the project entirely and starting fresh or, you know, putting it away for now, either starting something else or trying again and then kind of cherry picking elements that did work in that prior experiment into this new one just to see how it would work mm. okay yeah, yeah yeah if something fails you don't necessarily need to uh consider it a complete failure because you can still take elements out of that apply it to the revision and you know go from there that's why i don't necessarily delete everything that doesn't work out for me yeah. Some things I do just because it's redundant or I, you know, it was a real catastrophic just failure of an idea. But then I have the occasional ones that, like I said, I'll just set aside for now, pick at, dissect a little bit further, and then, yeah. you know, make it work, make something work out of it. Yeah. Cause like, so I've had this happen too where, Elon Musk said this and I was like, this totally makes sense. Like in school, you're sort of trained to always like answer the question and always like do better when sometimes the thing you're working on doesn't require to like keep going to perfection or you're making the idea better. You know, for me, I was making like a fixture to clamp things for drilling and I just got so complicated and I had to like just stop, put it off to the side. And I'm like, oh man, I was just making it so such a good thing. The idea was really cool and I was stuck on the idea and that's part of like dissecting especially if you're in like journaling, looking at your ideas and be like, yeah, this was like my little rabbit hole. But in this rabbit hole, I learned this. And if you can keep some of the benefits of, sometimes it's the failure of just a waste of a time of ideas. Sometimes it's like, well, that's not the right idea or you broke something or, but there's so much to always be learning about yourself. Cause I think like, you know, we as humans, especially ones that are making stuff, it's just constant failure, right? I mean, for me, it is. I don't want to speak for you, but I'm, and the nice part is, the better you get as a maker, as a craftsman, as you know, a designer, 
you're not necessarily making less mistakes. You're just so damn good at fixing your mistakes. Nobody even notices anymore because you're like, oh, okay, cool. I fucked up like this before. Uh, let's go open up the file. Uh, solution number 1,375 worked seven times already. I'll try that one here because I've done this so many times wrong, right? But, you know, that's, you know, beautiful part about woodworking is people get really good at fixing up little mistakes because like, well, you just spent, hundred hours of your life on a table and then you messed up at the end and you, it's like, well, I'm not going to get rid of those hours. And I mean, so, so what do you, what do you, do you have like go-to fixes for your crafting that you like to use? Like you were super glue guy or. Oh my which, God. Which, what's your like go-to like hammer to fix a problem? I mean, I, I use hammers to fix problems too. I tell people but. duct tape fixes a world of sins and I'm not joking about that either, but no, uh, for me. Yeah. I would definitely say, I would definitely have to agree that adhesives in general really do fix a lot of things. You can make your own wood putty using yeah. just the residual sawdust and uh, wood glue. glue. Yeah. yeah. Or CA. Or, yeah. Or wood. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. You can make, you can make it blend in about as well as anything else out there that's sold on the market um if something broke off you could literally glue it back together i don't know i guess that would probably be my go-to repair tool or repair object would be some sort of adhesive um if you could <laughs> i laugh because uh my house here mm. i I built the majority of it with my father and oh, that's really cool. Oh yeah. It was a fun two, two and a half year job that I worked on in between, you know, having my job, losing a job, getting another job. It was stress, but I'm in it now. But if you could look in these walls, the crimes that this uh, drywall hides yeah. is indescribable. And nine out of 10 of those crimes are repaired with duct tape <laughs> because it is so effective it is, <laughs> it is. it's 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 my least favorite type of tape like i don't have it in my shop because i generally have to take things back apart and that's the biggest kind of duct tape it's like the worst thing to remove the stickiness like all the things that make it great as a thing to fix things i'm, I'm a zip tie guy for me zip tie and glue if you can but I, I have like the massive like zip ties. I had like a motorcycle one time where it was just like, I wanted to ride it. I got a battery and I didn't want to make a battery mount. So I just got like industrial zip ties that are like an inch wide. And I just cranked that sucker down and it's like strapped to my swing arm, right? This is a motorcycle I got for free to ride. So like that's as much effort as I want to put into it. The seat was a couple of yoga mats kind of thing. Like, but like zip ties, man, for me, you know, especially with equipment, right? Like when I'm in equipment, not only do I use the zip ties to uh, like, you know, uh, corral wires together and make harnesses, when I'm taking a piece of like equipment apart that I like, I don't, it's the most frustrating thing where like, this is a really expensive piece of equipment and nobody knows how to take the wiring apart. It's like, well, nobody knows. Nobody's had like taking this apart. So I'll use, I used to use painter's tape, but I'll actually now use zip ties and you can write it on with Sharpie, be like this wire goes to here and then you have to cut it. So, you know, like where to put it back together and I mean, zip ties and Sharpies have been sort of my safety I, net, I guess. I can actually expand on that because Ooh, I use zip ties and painter's tape 
Oh, banner's tape is the best. Yeah. It, I use that religiously at work because I can't use high adhesive tapes like duct tape or packing tape. Yeah. Oh, packing tape is the worst. Oh, God. Oh. You cannot get that off no. of anything you put that on. And people sometimes will put it on a painted surface and you're like, I'm not even going to take that off because that's just going to take off whatever. You look down <laughs> and it's on there. You look down and you realize that's powder coated, but that could still rip that off in a yeah. heartbeat. But yeah. Yeah, painter's tape I use all the time to label stuff at work or just temporarily hold things together. But zip ties, oh my lord. We go through, I can't tell you how many bags of zip ties because we're constantly cutting wa- or cutting zip ties yep. apart, yep. fixing bundles, putting them back together. One of the most brilliant, I guess, ideas I ever saw with zip ties was done by a gentleman who's uh, a host for several projects on Motor Trend magazine. Uh, okay. David Freiberger. Is oh, yeah. Roadkill. Roadkill. Oh. The wiring harnesses that he has made with zip ties as spacers in between the cables. My jaw dropped the first time I saw that and went, I need to do that more often because yeah. that looks so professional despite well, and, and, just being zip so so for those that don't like are in the car scene like david freiber like this whole like roadkill is there and i'm just taking like really bad like worn out cars and just drive them across the country and fixing it because they're really good at doing cars right they know how to fix them but just the the setups they come to make these things run sometimes or the engine swaps. They put like what a, a turbo diesel inside like a Nissan, like a Datsun 240 or 280 or something. One of the fair ladies. Oh, yeah. It's like I'm- disgusting, terrible things to these poor cars. They don't have windshields and stuff you do- wish you could do, I guess. Uh- <laughs> For those of you who are listening, do yourself a favor and just look up Stubby Bob. Stubby Bob. Oh, Stubby Bob. Six Ford, right? That was an old Ford F4, I think it was. The long bed Ford that they literally chopped the frame Uh, down to like fractions of what it used to be. It's a wheeling semi truck, basically, with an engine in the back. And it's not, no parts safe. Like, but that's the, that's why it's, that's why like, sort of like roadkill. That's why I had a janky motorcycle because it was safe enough. You know, like th- that feeling of just like zip tying stuff together and just going and hoping you don't die, even though, you know, it's safe because you got really expensive zip ties, as it were, you know, like what you spend an extra cent on them kind of thing. But Mine only come from the finest factory in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah. And, and right there, I would say that's another prime example of just making with what you have available. I mean, granted, yeah. Well, what else are you going to do, right? Right, right. I mean, when you're limited like that, when you have those constraints, it forces you to think create uh, creatively. You know, the otherwise you're that... stuck at that blank infinite screen again, right? If you're not like, well, I can make this any way. You don't pick a way. You don't pick something. Or if you don't start with like a scrap piece, like I'm going to make this out of this scrap piece of wood. Well, then I know what size to make my freaking rectangle. Then I'm going to cut it into a circle and then put tracks in it or you know, mortars and ten or whatever it is. Right. It's so much easier. And this is like, for me, was the hugest thing because I learned 3D modeling through machining, which is, you know, taking away. But just like you said, you start with a block and then I'm like, well, how would I do this? At least with machining, 
And then you do that in your head and then like, well, I, now I can still 3D print it, but you have to like, that, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how that goes through. I love it. I love that challenge that comes out of yeah. starting with nothing and ending up with something. Yeah. Even if it is just held together with zip ties and duct tape. Yeah. But, but I think people, there's a science to it, right? Like, especially if you see people like well, crazy, you, I mean, Look, you can go to like Ikea and you buy some crazy furniture and then there's the people with like the twine, the free twine. Right. And I'm not like hating on anybody. I get you have to do what you have to do. And everyone wants to get home, especially if you have like a kid with you that's crying like, no, no, I'm not going to go home and get like the fancy straps. By the way, you can get really good ratchet straps, keeping your truck like a van. It just saves your life if you use like any kind of stuff. But and then you see like the people that come with like the nice ratchet straps and they're using one or two. And like, it might not look, but those are load rated, right? So like, it's just this crazy janky setup strapped to the top, but it's all held down, right? So I think like, as you get further and further is making, it's just getting better at using zip ties, right? Like I have a bicycle that's done thousands of miles. I've never changed them because they never broke. It's not like a matter of, I thought it was a great choice, but same thing with that, right? Like I have my gears held on with zip ties, Right. And it like it works, you know, like I said, the battery. I mean, there's just so much. It's it's silly how like what you can do. I mean, it's fun, too. Right. It's like just like you're saying, you could do things with the engine manifold with zip ties like that challenge. That's why I think road, roadkill is so endearing because they're doing those things for that. You know, the junkyard dog kind of. It, it just makes it so much more endearing to do it that way, because money's not really the issue it's 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 the problems and the materials you have on hand kind of thing my so i kind of had a bit of a roadkill experience with one of my vehicles growing up mm. i had an old 1999 ford ranger uh super cab which okay. yeah. uh i wasn't overly floored with but i had it for a long time and it it did me okay. I'm not going to say it did me well. I'm not going to say I was impressed by it, but it did me okay. It, the biggest problem was I live in New York. Rust is a huge issue around here, as you yeah, know. As Midwest, well. yeah, Chicago, yeah. We're all everything. Everything disintegrates here. It's a it's, car. It's, a car that is two years old. It's look like it's twenty years old if it's from New York. Oh, God, Mark yeah. my words. Oh, you're you're not wrong. Don't buy from New York. Don't buy from Chicago. Buy from New Mexico or Colorado or, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. Do it. Do what my coworker. Do what my coworker did. Fly down to Texas to help yes. as field support, and then drive back with a brand new GMC Sierra 2500 heavy duty. So I will say I was surprised by this when I was in Arizona. Uh, my thought was because I'm like, yeah, I have a little extra money and I love motorcycles, right? That's my thing. I like tinkering with that was it's fun because you get to ride it and they're so cheap on gas. So it really encourages that spirit of like, well, if I'm doing this for gas reasons, I'm not going to go out and spend a lot of money, right? Because then you'd spend like 20 grand in a motorcycle. Nothing wrong with that because it's still cheap on gas. Right. Um, but so I was just blown away by. You know, I'm like, I'm in Chicago. And I figured, you know, if I want to buy a motorcycle, it'd be like a car. I'd want one from Arizona. So I'm visiting a buddy in Arizona. I'm trying to buy a motorcycle. And they're, and everyone's telling me, you're doing it the wrong way. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, there's no rust here. They're like, exactly. It's also a desert. People can ride a motorcycle every day. Because, so they'll look beautiful. 
but they're just completely worn out because everyone's riding them all the time. And they're like, the Chicago bikes are great because most people won't ride it if it's even raining in Chicago, right? It doesn't really rain in Arizona. So most people that so are like, you should buy motorcycles in Chicago and sell them in Arizona for a profit. I'm like, that just blows my mind because the opposite for cars, right? It's probably the same for New York. Most people aren't riding motorcycles in New York winters. Um, very select few of people think that's fun. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's its own kind of passion to be a snow lover, uh, though the Midwest makes it extra miserable throwing salt at everything. Oh, but, for uh, sure. For sure. And I mean, if I were to drive if my truck at the time would have even made it down to Arizona, they would have laughed at it because of how rusty it was and just how disgusting it was. And I knew it was, I knew it was nothing to be desired, which was why when it was on like its last legs, I saw zip ties at it, right? Throw zip ties at it. But one of the stupidest things I did, and this is what I consider my biggest roadkill moment. There was just this giant rust hole under the rocker panel on the driver's side that every time I got in and out of the truck on, I scraped my leg against, and I swear to God, I am surprised I never got tetanus. Tetanus, yeah. So I just decided, you know what? To hell with it. I took duct tape, and I covered up the entire thing. I made sure it was black duct tape so it matched the truck, and it worked until the duct tape just started to peel away. And and the rain. Uh, the rain, the snow, and it that's just... so funny. I've done the same thing in a truck. Like I got a damn cheap truck, and it was like it ran great. And at the time, I'm like, how hard can body work be? Not knowing how to weld or do any of that kind of metal work. I'm like, it's just some minor holes. It runs great for cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And it's winter, and you're driving not because the heat doesn't work, but like because cold's freaking coming in underneath you. So like you're driving in blankets and. You bring your friends like, hey, here's a blanket. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm OK. It's like, no, no, no. But we're going to go on the highway now. Grab your blanket. Yeah. And then you just duct tape it. Because like, what else are you going to do? Right. Like real metal work Because I think that's part of like. I think what attracts people to like makers or that kind of whether you're like an artisanal maker, which I think is its own little thing as well, like just an artisanal craftsman's um, is just doing that, fixing it, taking it and going with it. Right. You just. A, you always think you can tackle it. That's not always a good thing, but if you didn't think that, you'd probably never start. Right. You know, or you never, and you have to start somewhere. Just like you were saying with like the rectangle in 3D modeling, you have to have like some place and it might be a terrible place to start, but you won't know that until you started on it. And then you're like, well, that was a terrible place to start. And back to your point of the whole, you know, you'll pull ideas from previous experiences or previous designs that comes right back to it is you're going to look upon your failures like, well, there's still some solutions that I can use. And I know I can confidently more go forward with something I've never tried before. I got like a bigger tool chest of ideas. You know, I know what straight looks like I've gone to school a few more times on it, you know, the school of hard knocks, the school of life experience. And I mean, so how, what's like maker defined for, for you, you know, what's, what's that sort of sit with you as somebody who is like an engineer as uh, as it comes because that's a definition of itself as an engineer right so like what why is why'd you add maker to to it to me a maker is anybody that creates whatever i mean we have artists in the maker community artists that we're really good friends with we consider mm-hmm. them makers as well 
we have artists being like paint painters kind of stuff pottery kind of painters pottery uh digital art all that kind of all those media there i still consider them makers because they are putting in time and effort to create something from nothing again yeah. or from a material that you would otherwise look at and not think the same but of. more to your point like it's it's, it's more the end to the means because you have to start somewhere right yeah right we all have to start somewhere sometimes it's with the canvas exactly or a napkin in, in, in the case if you're going to 3d modeling right pretty much yeah or index so, cards yeah yeah and that's why i would probably put uh artists under the maker category as well as well as uh musicians again yeah. you're making composition starting from just a sheet of lines and bars that you therefore go in and dot with your own media and your own creative take on music so musicians i would consider makers as well um engineers were makers just by trade um yeah, I think that's that's why that, that's why it was interesting that you brought on the second work. It is sort of like the trade uh, before like maker was a word. I think like engineer was thrown around a little more. Before, just because it sort of defined that like what what do you do? Well, if you're like, I'm a maker, it's like, well, you could literally do anything from. Yeah, I'm maybe going to try. Right. Whereas if you say engineer, you're like, oh, OK, so like you make things for a company or like for some sort of you know, you're part of a team effort, generally speaking. Um, not that you can't engineer on your own, but you're still, you know, even though I design on my own, I'm still working with a team to help the production line, to move this bigger thing, to then go into automotive, the vehicles that are output, you know, you know, all the, like the big, the big, um, big automakers. So it's like, you're still part of, when we say the word engineer, right? Like it's, it's interesting how that, it, yeah. So, so what else do you have any, what else do you throw into makers? Uh, architects, I would probably throw in yeah. that category as well. Again, you're taking and you're taking an idea, you're building on it, and you're putting your own spin on that design. Yes, you have constraints. I mean, you've got legal codes and you've got building codes that you need to abide by. But for the majority of the rest of it, go hog wild. Yeah, I mean, that's why you've got projects. That's why you've got architects like Frank Gehry who make the buildings that he did. That's why you see people uh, taking shipping containers now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And turning them into things like uh, houses. Was that pools. Ben? Ben, uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. I can't remember off the top of me. Are uh, you talking about uh, Latitude Studio? No. Well, maybe. I'm terrible with this. Um, ben Moyuda, I think. Oh, Ben Ueda. Thank you. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that's his big thing, right? Shipping containers, right? Well, no, that, that was a project that he did. Uh, it's not like his bread and butter. I, yeah, yeah, right, right. That's where I saw a lot of that, uh, some, a lot of that work. Yeah, uh, he basically, for those of you that have never are not familiar with it, um, he took three shipping containers and arranged them in a way to make a, uh, a rental home out in Joshua Tree. That's what it was. Yeah. Rental. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and cool. which, by the way, is working a treat. I mean, it's a brilliant idea out there. But what I was thinking of was there's a company in, I forget, I think it's like 
the Northwest somewhere. Uh, Latitude Studio is the name of them, I believe. Yeah, Latitude Studios Co. They're out in uh, St. Paul, actually, Minnesota. And uh, they basically take used shipping containers mm. and turn them into these really impressive uh, backyard studios. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I don't know how well, I mean, if you're listening to this on audio, you won't be able to see this, but. <laughs> oh, okay. That, yeah. No, I mean, I get the gist of it. Yeah, that's neat. They are incredible and it's a good. So, so when you talk about studio, it's like a recording studio as well. It's obviously really good to soundproof anything you, you could... want to record or visual as well. That's cool. Well, you could turn it into you could basically turn it into whatever you want. You yeah. basically go to them and say, Your creative I need, space. I need a creative space. I need an office. I need a, you know, like a workout space. Sure. I need a recording studio, whatever. Mm. And they'll go, they'll literally work with you through the process. As far as I can tell, I've never talked to them sure. personally. I've wanted to, like, I want to pick their brains at some point and go, what made you do what you did? and just learn more about it but yeah i they would probably i would consider them architects because you know they're building off of something existing civil engineers i would even put under uh makers oh, for as sure. well you're making bridges you're designing roadways roundabouts all this kind of stuff that we use every day and let's be honest i think we take for granted sometimes there are people yeah. that designed that and made that for you. Uh, iron workers, uh, HVAC people, uh, all these trades that are out there. Yeah, I think it does all sort of fall into it. And it, like, just as a, you're making, you're creating, and it's a very similar skill set where most times, especially in the trades, it's problem solving because things will always come up. The floor is not level. The two by four is a half inch short. Like there's, there's, there's always, no matter what you're doing when you're making things, because in 3d modeling, everything's perfect. And you have to account for imperfection as well, which is super hard in the real world, just applying that, you know, like, like I said, master carpenter has to deal with the floor is not actually level right now. You have to shim it knowing how to do that, you know, to code is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so interesting what, what's come under that umbrella of the word. And I think it's a great thing yeah. just because people are sharing their solutions, their tips, their tricks. And there's a lot of similarities, which I love, right? Like people like the, the double-sided uh, tape trick where you, you know, use the, the glue, put it between two layers of painters tape, get two things stuck together, make copies or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's a really common one that I've seen. There, there's so many cool things and tips and tricks. Well, I'll get some tips for like machining off the same community. And then all of a sudden I'm learning how to weld and people are sharing tips with me as like, oh, well, cool. I thought I was just going to fumble around. Like I know there's YouTube videos, but somebody comes and sees your post or your story about welding and they chime in and they're a welding instructor and they're just in part of this maker community. And like, Hey, like, you know, that tip is just, it's so useful to help you get along through all this. And it's, it's really, you know, it inspires you to keep going. Right. It, uh, you have that help. You have a sort of a community, even if these aren't people you necessarily know, it just falls in this umbrella. Everyone comes from massively different backgrounds, whether it's engineering or crafting or, they're just starting out 
And even then there's so much people that are just starting out even have to offer. Uh, anybody like inspiring you right now in particular, uh, or you're aspiring to sort of. There's a few. And I made a post a while back kind of uh, showcasing the people that I kind of draw ideas and inspirations from nine out of the 10 times I'm scrolling through Instagram. Um, For context, my, my sense of style is towards like the modern side of things, even Mm -hmm. though I deal with a lot of vintage equipment, my hope is to maybe bridge between vintage and modern and come up with something in between, but you know, later on down the road. So people like, uh, Bowloy design craft. He's again, he was a former architect in the Texas area who made a name for himself. And now he's creating incredible just pieces and even making his own home look better uh, in the process. Uh, then you've got uh, Growler Domestics from Austin, Texas. Again, another phenomenal furniture maker. I love the stuff that he creates. Um, William Douglas from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I had the pleasure of meeting him in person and just, you know, touring his shop, seeing the things that he creates, the classes that he does. Just an absolutely brilliant guy. I love him to bits. Um, Chris Salamone from uh, Four Eyes Furniture. He does oh, some yeah, incredible yeah. stuff. I yeah. love the things that he creates. Yeah, I like how he talks through it too. That one, I've seen his stuff, yeah. And then people like uh, Brett Skull and Spade 13, who I... Brett has always been one of those guys that I have always aspired to from day one, just the way that he takes on projects and his spin, his creative spin on that has always really been something that I draw a lot of parallels to. I I see him sharing a lot too, as well, which is the, the, the part where that creative creativity is just infectious when you're sharing it to that level. And it's, it's, it's nice. Yeah. And if you can share it, that's incredible. But again, kind of tying back to what we were talking about at the beginning, sometimes you can't always share what you're working on or what you're being creative with at the moment. Doesn't mean that maybe later on you can't Mm. share that creativity, but at the moment, maybe you're just, you've got constraints on you that won't allow you to do that. Him, I mean, he lives in the desert now. He's got a house to his name that he's literally rebuilding from the ground up as he sees it and he can show the whole thing from start to finish and it's incredible it's impressive to watch yeah um yeah people like them have been really what i draw a lot of inspiration from for what will eventually become projects for me later on down the road i shared a CAD model I created a while back of a, um, a hi-fi audio uh, oh, the speaker box, console. Right? right? Well, yeah, it's a speaker box, but it has a record player and a radio baked into right. it as well. Typically, they're called console units, but 
get that from the uh, the growler guy. That was. Nah. He was the furniture guy that you draw a lot from. He I don't know if he made one. A okay. lot of the styling that I did was kind of based off of his yeah. furniture, but a lot of it also revolved around uh, uh, taking a piece of uh, equipment or not equipment, a piece of hardware that a company called Semi-Exact makes, mm. which are bent steel uh, table legs. Yeah. Which I looked at initially and went, what happened? What would it look like if I hung something from it? So, yeah, I remember seeing your little uh, design iteration process you went through that was pretty cool because that, that is the nice thing about, you know, those powerful CAD softwares. You can sometimes throw in like wood grain and play around with it which is also sort of frustrating because then you're like playing around with almost a video game version of your idea versus like, and, and it's a pro because you're not spending money on the wood sitting in front of you, which sometimes you don't have. So, you know, it's nice to be able to make the mistakes in CAD, but uh, there's something to be said about being able to also hack into it, but I have nowhere near like the wood scrap supply where you can just be like, you know, I have a scrap wood I can use for this project that I don't financially need, or it's a nice piece. Those are that's a collection I think takes a while to sort of develop or I don't know. You just have a good hookup for wood, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I mainly source mine from a local supplier here, but hopefully in the near future, I can reach out to companies like Forest to Home mm. to help out with that. Um, but. It, uh Hang on, I lost my train of thought. You're, you just... were talking about your your uh, whole uh, your record player with the speaker mount, your whole uh, and I think it was the semi exact brackets is where you were talking about designing whether it was me hung or non hung. Yes. Yeah. 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 Now I remember. Yeah. I uh, I've been looking at a lot of their products, and you know they will show you how they were intended to be used or how yeah. they were initially designed to be used, and then I just look at that and go, yeah. But what if you did this with it instead? <laughs> if I literally just flipped it upside down, yeah. One of the first conversations I actually had with them was about their 90-degree bent angle uh, shelf brackets. Traditionally, they're made to support the shelf from underneath, right? Um, but I looked at that and went, that's cool. But what if you tilted them 90 degrees so that instead of supporting it from underneath, it sandwiches the shelf from the outer oh. edges? And then it turned into, well, what if I recess them so that they're flush on the outside edge and then finish it off with really nice hardware? Sure. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I got talking with them about the idea. And then I got talking with them about the idea of making a coffee table with their uh, yeah. bed frame legs that they manufacture and then it somehow turned into them sending me those legs to make a coffee table out of which i still need to get around to doing but but, but it's interesting because that goes back to the whole you started with something right you didn't start with necessarily the wooden 3d because you can make wood whatever shape you want in 3d files but you start with a bracket and you brought that in and you played around with that as um like your starting point as your muse yeah. as it were you know as a part because 
you know. Yeah, and in that yeah. case, and so it has dimensions, right? That's the other thing about 3D is it's reality. You have to throw in some dimension, even if it's arbitrary. You don't get to pick no, at least in CAD software. I think some other ones you can sort of just draw, but in, in the like AutoCAD and SolidWorks, you have to sort of put into the five decimal point what size you want something to be. You yeah, know, well, I mean, you don't have to, but like you can put five inches, point zero 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 zero, but yeah, you're still yeah. defining it. But what's even more impressive about it is you put in that initial dimension, yeah, it doesn't quite work out. So then you extend it out, and then the rest of it just kind of works with it in that regard. Or chaotically, the file crashes. It's about 50 50 for me. <laughs> I. <sighs> I am not proud to admit that I have lost several files in the corruption of just. I've lost databases, man. Don't it's, it's part of the, it's not a good part. And you, you learn that I've done it twice. Um, I've only lost some files. I've been able to bring them back just because I have like enough duplicates, but yeah, it's, it's good. It's a history based program as, as far as, which is really cool too. Cause you can scroll backwards in time, but if you, you know, if you time travel to the very beginning to your first sketch and you change something, everything's messed up, just like time travel, right? You go back in time and uh, what was it? Your mom falls in love with you instead of your father, you know, back to the future, right? Oh my gosh, yes. It's very much the same thing <laughs> in SOLIDWORKS. You go back and change it from, a ha- you know, sometimes it's 5.02 to 5.03 and then the whole thing goes <laughs> and you lose whatever you just, and then you have to go back and scroll. And sometimes you're lucky you hit control Z and it doesn't. Sometimes it's like, you know, even control Z won't fix this problem. This is a, maybe take a little lunch break. <laughs> You Come ever, back uh, later. <laughs> you ever seen those uh, memes on the internet of an of a digital artist making a piece, and you know how they kind of do it on layers, mm-hmm. each individual part or whatever that they're drawing. Sure. They'll do it on layers, and then it'll come time to make a revision or some change to it, and then they realize that they've been doing all their work on a single layer. I've done that Instead of individual too. ones, I've and done that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have felt that uh, on quite a few levels. Of- I've done the same thing in sketching where you do the wrong plane, you sketch and it's all messed up. It's, oh, it's yeah. all. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the nice part about pen and paper is, you know, exactly what you're doing. I even have some like that translucent graph paper and it's, it's all tricks, man. It's all the tricks of the, I, th- I think going back to what makes a maker, it's, it's using the limited tools. Some of you get really good at with the zip ties and, still comes back to napkin sketches are probably the, you know, gold. <laughs> so um, what's the best way to find you, you know, to find you, support you on the uh, great wide web, as it were. Currently, probably the best way would be through Instagram on my account at CMAT make, but the, uh, the spaces in between C Matt and make have an underscore in it. So it's C underscore Matt underscore make because Instagram does not allow you to do spaces like a normal human being. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. And um, any place else we should uh, look for you? Not at the moment. However, I know you got the uh, Friday night uh, maker meetup, right? Kind of thing going right now. Yes. So every Friday night, 1030 Eastern standard time, I host on my Instagram page, Friday Night Makers, which is essentially just an open house for makers of all kind to jump in with a drink, with just stories, whatever they've got, and just co-mingle, really. Uh, We are on episode 
we just actually shot episode three last night again with Mary Lou from yeah, was good made by nice. Mary Lou. Yep. It was a short one because we both had time constraints at the time, but my hope is to eventually expand out and just recruit more and more people or invite more people to jump in. They don't necessarily need to watch. They can jump in whenever they want and talk in person if they want to. I mean, granted, Instagram limits you to having four people at a time on a live, but we can always alternate people in and out. Sure. And that's sort of the goal. That's sort of the whole idea with Friday Night Makers is just. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, it's just a fun place for people to come in. And see Matt, who's a maker. (laughs) And see Matt, who's a maker. (laughs) Definitely. Awesome, man. Um, well, thank you. I really appreciate you joining us here at uh, the Alio Archive. Uh, you can find us at the Alio www.thealioarchive.com. We got everything on the Patreon. It's a nice, easy place to link everything. And if you care about our pretty faces on video, um, that's all on there too as well. Uh, appreciate you coming on, man. I had a lot of fun. It's, I think, a unique side of making that. Uh, I, I really enjoyed talking through with you. So thank you again and uh, have a great one. I think we'll uh, cut it there. <laughs> <laughs>